This is Kit Simons and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name is Matt Boisclair and our four-game winning run came to an end on Saturday afternoon as a combination of poor finishing and bizarre refereeing decisions handed Bristol City the points at the cottage. Bizarre refereeing is being very kind, actually. The referee was a prize wanker. Speaking of which, joining me to dissect the game, firstly is the chairman of the Self-Appreciation Society himself. It's only bloody Baldo, Matt Baldwin. How you doing, mate? These intros get better and better every week. I look forward to them. Absolutely fine. Thank you, sir. Good stuff. And also joining me is our boy from Georgia, Atlanta. He's a lover, not a fighter. It's Don Love. You all good, mate? I'm all good. All good. Good stuff. How was Thanksgiving the other week? Uh, You know, it's a lovely holiday for us because usually my daughter and my son, they come back from uni and... We usually have a bunch of expats uh, that, you know, they don't do Thanksgiving, so they come join us. So I have people from New Zealand, Australia, England. Uh, they all come and join us and take part, laugh at us, and have uh, good food. So Very nice. Yeah, well, we, it's uh, a good we time. Saw the pictures. We saw the pictures you sent us of your food. It looked amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Okay, let's look back at Saturday's bloody disaster then. Fulham. So Anthony Knockout started the game in place of AK-47. First and foremost, did AK-47 warrant losing his place or do you think that Parker is using his squad in a week where we have three games in one week? And also with this in mind, do you expect AK-47 to get his chance to start again in the next few days where we face tough away trips to Preston and Brentford? I'll come to you first, Baldo. Yeah, I think if... You know, that can really be the only reason that uh, Kamara was dropped, you know, because it can't have been a, you know, tactical or form performance-based decision because, you know, he was fantastic against QPR and then did reasonably well uh, against uh, Sw- against Swansea the week after. So if so, I can only assume that this is basically made the decision of, you know, with the games, with the games coming up in hand, um that he wanted to give give a little bit of rest and have him fresh for uh, fresh for games on uh, Tuesday and uh, next Saturday, yeah, because yeah, so it has to have been a dropped uh, dropped rather than you know arrested rather sorry rested rather than being dropped. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Uh, you know me, I'm I'm not the the biggest fan of Kamara um, based on previous performance. However. He has been excellent in the last couple of, uh, well, the the games prior to Swansea. He wasn't brilliant against Swansea, but didn't warrant being dropped. But I just think in a game where we've got three, sorry, in a week where we've got three games, I think it's best to, to, you you know, use somebody like that sparingly. What do you think, Don? You know, I I definitely think this was um, a case like Baldwin saying of he wasn't dropped. I'm thinking this is Scotty doing what we hope is good man management. It's a long season. We know there's a lot of tough fixtures right now. Uh, In my mind, you know, you've still got three really important fixtures coming up uh, that potentially for me could be six-pointer games. So, yes, I'm hoping it's good man management that he not only didn't have AK in there, but he didn't have Bobby Reed in there. So I'm hoping those two will slip back in to the starting 11 for the next game. And we'll have Knockart drop to the side along with Josh. Um, I know we'll talk about Josh later, but I'd rather see Bobby in there. That's an interesting point you pick up on, though, about man management, because the players seem to really be behind Scott Parker. Um, Yet, whenever we lose a game... The the knives are out for Scott Parker, seemingly. It doesn't matter that we won the previous four. You, you, you would think that the previous four never occurred. And that's the problem, I think, with a lot of us fans. You know, we have a short-term memory. Or at least, you know, it seems at Fulham we have a short-term memory. Scotty has done, actually, I think, very well this season, okay? Yes, he has only got the experience of a U18 uh, for, for Tottenham and, and his player background so far. But I think he's actually done extremely well with 
you know, his experience uh, being as limited as it is and the players he's got. Now, you know, on paper, we're here look awesome. But in real life, some of our players, they're just not been like, oh, my God, cutting it and lighting the world on fire. So I really do wish people would get a little bit more behind Scotty and give him a little better support, not just cut him up every time we lose a game. Um, I think that basically everyone who is pro Parker will look for anything positive to say, right, this is why Scott Parker's a good a good manager. And anything negative will be will be used by those who aren't a fan of him to say, no, he's not a good manager. I think he's still very much got the fan base split. You know, it's not like you know, the days of Roy Hodgson or, you know, the peak days of Savisi Kanovic where no one had anything bad to say about it because nothing was going wrong in effect. But now any slight mishap, even if we are, you know, as you said, four games, four games in a row, we won. So everyone who likes Park will be happy with that. But then one game, but then we lose one game and all of a sudden all the people who aren't huge fans of Park will say, right, this is why. So he's, as I say, he's got the fan base split. So anything, you know, slightly positive or negative, one of the sides is going to pick up on that. I agree with that. And, and just for the record, I want to state, I'm not pro Parker or out Parker. I just think Parker is a decent manager right now. No, he's not that guy who, you know, uh, has all the experience of Marino or all these other guys, you know, uh, who are going to come in and we're going to be instant promotion guaranteed type thing. But at the same time, I do still think he's doing a good job. So I still am behind him. I still think as long as he's showing that he's learning and he's correcting mistakes that he can, I'm okay with it. My only thing that he's upsetting me with right now, I'm not a fan of Josh at all right now. I don't understand why Scott's picking him. We'll get on that later, but that's my only real problem right now with Scott is that. Yeah, we'll come on to Josh Onimer in a minute, but one player I do want to talk about before we go any further is Joe Bryan, because of course he was facing his old side Bristol City on Saturday afternoon. When his name was read out at the beginning, the Bristol City fans clapped him. Um, when he got on the ball towards the end of the game, they booed him. I'm not sure if something happened um, in the meantime that I'd missed or whether they were just trying to see their team over the line and, and, and get on his back. Um, Don, how did you think he did against his old club? You know, I, I think Joe is a fairly consistent player. He's not a light the world on fire player, but he's a good player, uh, especially at this level. What he does extremely well, I think, a lot of people may not think this, but I do think he does extremely well getting up and uh, into the attack. And he has put some, I thought at least, several good balls into the box. You know, that couple did uh, allow for some decent chances uh, that, you know, we just couldn't get on or finish. You know, we're, we're lacking right now in that final third, it seems like, a lot of times. The problem with my, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, problem with, for me, with Joe he doesn't have the speed of like a doy or Fredericks and that kind of stuff. So him getting back can be a problem and does make us, I think extremely, you know, uh, open for the counter down, down that side. My, my other problem with that is sometimes because he's trying to get back, he's expecting Steph Joe or Tom, who's ever kind of playing that deeper role to be the person that picks up his man or the, you know, a man coming back. Well, the problem with there is, more times than not, it doesn't happen. Reams left open with two or three players that he's expected to pick up. Balls come across into the box. Ream can't cover them all. Mawson can't cover them all, you know. And, and for me, that's been a problem for Fulham for several years. We don't pick that man up making the runs out of the midfield or, or you know, down the left side right now. So that is my only real thing with Joe is I wish he had a little better speed to be able to recover. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. I think, um, but personally, I, I I thought he had a reasonable game. There, there were a couple of times when the guy sat next to me said, "Joe, remember you play for Fulham, not for Bristol City," and he, he kind of missed a tackle or he gave the ball away or something. Oh, that's but, mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but generally, I I thought he had an okay game. I, I didn't think anybody had a particularly bad game, but we're, we're, that that will come out in the wash when we talk this through as we go along. Um, sadly, there wasn't a place for Bobby Reed to play against the side he scored a hat full of goals for. Um, as he's still injured. But Baldo, do you think he would have made a difference had he been available? Yes, because I think he would have uh, been playing instead of Josh Onema and I think Bobby Reed offers a lot more going forward um, than Josh than Josh Onema does, even despite his assist. I don't know whether or not that's officially been credited, his assist again, uh, against Swansea. 
Um, yeah, because Bobby Reed can get among, can get amongst the goals. I don't see Josh Onuma being able to do that. And also, I think Bobby Reed's got a lot more a lot more pace than Onuma, so we can you know attack in numbers and attack at a greater pace uh, with with him in the side. So obviously, so obviously we're missing him. Nobody can come back you know sooner rather than later because. As admittedly, he hasn't scored as many goals or got as many assists. I think people would have liked. I do think there is still quite a lot that he offers the side um, that that we are missing uh, due to the fact that he's not uh, he's not playing every week. I'll tell you. Here, here's my thing about Josh. Okay, uh, it's been mentioned online several times that people seem to think that uh, Parker sees something in him for some reason. And Parker keeps saying that in all his conferences that he really sees quality coming out in, that, in, in Josh as a player. I know that he had him as a probably U18 at Tottenham. I don't see it. Bobby Reed and Parker, or I mean Josh, are just two different players. For me, Josh gets lost in the game too many times. Now, he does pop up every now and then. He does put a right foot in for a tackle, win a ball you know, put a ball through for the assist. I think he was involved, if I'm not mistaken, that launched Knockhart forward where the goalie had to come out and be big. Um, and Knockhart just didn't chip it over him. He tried to go through the darn keeper, as always. And he didn't, you know, get a goal out of it because the keeper came out and made himself big. But Josh does pop up every now and then. Not enough or consistent enough for me to say, yep, starting 11 every time. For me... I just think there's better options out there than Josh right now. Even uh, what's his name? The other Reed. I- I'd rather see him out there right now than Josh. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he's Reed. injured though. He's injured. It's, the other Reed's injured. injured. God bless yeah. him. I'd rather see Harrison, Bobby. Um, well, arguably Harrison Reed's the first name on the team sheet if he's available. He's been fantastic this season. I just, just I just want to see anybody else right now, right, other than Josh. I, I, I you know, honestly. Now, I'm, I'm, I hate putting Josh down, but I'd rather see, you know, Matt or uh, O'Reilly come on or Luca Delatora come on right now than I would Josh. I'd rather see those two, if you're going to do something, give them a chance. You know, let's, I'd rather see what can they do because Josh just isn't cutting it for me. Well, I, I was going to save this to later on. We were going to talk about Anima later on in the show uh, when we talked about who, who replaced him. But, Baldo, I'm going to come to you with this because, again, the bloke who sits next to me said at one point yesterday, a poor man's Dixon Atuhu. Thoughts on that? I think, I think, that's, I think that's incredibly, uh, incredibly harsh. Um, but, I th- but I think there is, some, there is some element of truth in it. Um, you know, as, as Don said, there is obviously something that Parker sees in season on him but I just can't I just can't quite get it maybe it's because he was too incon being played too inconsistently you know he hasn't got had that you know consistent run in the team that he hasn't managed to get you know a run of form together or you know developers as quickly uh, as we'd hope so you know that's stun- that's stunning his performances um but I do think it's still incredibly early to sort of be judging on him on whether or not he's a good player or not I think that you know I'd say maybe by Easter we'll know roughly what sort of player we got, basically because he's been in and out of the side. If he were to get a consistent run together, then we might be able to see, right, yes, he's good enough for the championship, or no, he's not. But I think this jumping in and out is, I think it's, I think it's stunt, stunting him. Yeah, you, you, you think about last time, and I try and draw comparisons with not necessarily a similar type of player, but a similar situation where people kind of, you know, moan about a player who's in, in the team quite a bit. And I remember Shea Yojo um, from last time. And I, I never really saw the problem with Shea Yojo, to be honest. I, I, I thought he was a good player and he scored quite a few goals, but he was favoured, you know, in the run-up to Christmas, certainly. Then he didn't really get a look in after that in, in the side. But I, I just think in the Championship, it's such a long season, you need your squad. And at the moment, uh, Onoma is only playing because Harry Art is injured and Harrison Reed are both injured. When they're back, then you know they'll both be in the in the pecking order in front of him. Go on, okay, that's fine. If that's going to be Parker's excuse, you know that the, these these are my players. They're injured. And I'm, I'm going to throw Josh in instead. I still say bullshit. I still think there's better stuff sitting on the bench right now. And I, I'll take Niskan Cabano. Let's let's put him in. I think he'd do a better damn job than Josh is right now. Um, if that's the case of you know talking about pecking order, and I know this this isn't the debate to be having you know right now, but 
would you loan him out in January if basically he's yes? If, if the only reason he's in now is because there's too many players ahead or ahead of him that are injured, when those players come back, he's not going to be doing anything. Would you loan him out? Absolutely, and I probably loan him out to uh, Stato Tens Sunday League team and see what he can do there. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that seems a little bit harsh, but all right, let, let's move on anyway. Let's look at a positive from the day of which there weren't many positives. In the second minute, there was a minute's applause for Bristol City striker Benica Fobe, who sadly lost his two-year-old little girl last week. It was started by the City fans, was spread quickly around the ground. And for me, this sort of thing always makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, uh, as it's a stark reminder that even in the face of battle, we're all human beings. Baldo, what did you make of it? Yeah. Absolutely. I think there was one um, person on Twitter, I can't remember the name, and I, and it's really bugging me because I really want to give credit to him for putting the idea out. And it's basically, in light of, and we're going to touch on this later, in light of the bad refereeing performances, it is important to know in situations like that, and, you know, perfect contrast, you know, the beginning of the game and the end of the game, what's really important in all yeah. this. So I think absolutely fair play to, you know, Bristol City for you know, coming up with the idea and then fair play to the Fulham fans for, for following through on it and, you know, act, acting with respect in that moment. Yeah, couldn't have put it down myself, mate. Nice one. I mean, at the All end right. of the day, everybody's just got to remember, it's just a game. These are people and human beings. And no matter how bad you hate somebody or dislike them, a situation like that, you got to just, you know, your heart's got to go out to the person. Yeah, life comes first. All right, well, let's let's get back to the game then. So I've mentioned him quite a bit recently and I've always loved him, but since he's moved back to right back, I think Dennis Adoy has looked absolutely fantastic. He made an outstanding tackle in the opening few minutes, um, which had we got something from the game, I think we'd be gushing over. Don, about Dennis Adoy, thoughts so far this season? Okay, so first off, I'm going to reiterate, uh, for those who are longtime listeners, you will know that I am not a Dennis Adoy fan, or was not a Dennis Adoy fan, and I really uh, would give him a lot of stick in the past, especially, you know, I, I'd always say he's a red card just walking, w- waiting to happen, and he really, really upset me in the final at Wembley when he turned around and he got that stupid red, silly red. Uh, which he is just, oh my God, prone to doing. But this season, I owe him an apology. I think I, I, I will, you know, try and be the better person here. He's been fantastic. He is, for me, one of those first names on the sheet every game. He has been doing wonderful getting up and back down. He has had some fantastic touches where he has taken on two, three players at a time. He's putting some really nice balls into the box. Uh, I think he's working his ass off. I think, you know, he knows there's competition there between Christie, who actually I didn't think looked that bad either uh, the last time he came on, and, you know, uh, Stephen Session. So kudos to Odoy. I'm, I'm just going to say it right now. I apologize. I think you've been looking fantastic, and I hope it continues because this is really good stuff. It looked like he was – uh, you know, on his way out at one point this season because he wasn't in the team. He was he was behind Steven Sessegnon, yeah. And now he's come in, and like you say, I, I agree with you. I think he's one of the first names on the team sheet. He's been he's been fantastic so far this season. Nice one, Dennis. Yeah, okay. So we had an early chance when a defence splitting pass put Cavalero in for a one on one down the left, but he was kept out by the Bristol City keeper. He probably should have scored though, Baldo. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you first look at it, you think it's a good save. But I think it, I think he thought too much about it and took that extra touch. I think the opportunity was there with the goalkeeper rushing out to, uh, to lob it over him. But you see, you go back and watch on the replay. You could see it there in his eyes. But he just takes that one touch too many. And that's what brings and that's what brings uh, Daniel Benley um, closer to him and able to close it down. I think a little bit of indecision, as it were as it was on uh, on Caviero's part. But to me, that's classic. That is just classic him. He takes one touch too many, you know, trying to walk it into the damn box rather than take the opportunities that are given to him. So for me, that's just par for the course for him. Very frustrating. And then, of course, there was a good chance for the visitors after about 15 minutes when there was a cross that came in from the right and there were two Bristol City players queuing up to head it in. But... 
whoever got their their head on it headed it straight at Merritt Rodak. And this was an early sign of things to come because ten minutes later the ball's in the back of our net. This time from a header from the from the left. Uh, Baldo, talk me through the goal and could we have done better defensively? Yeah, I think that that chance a couple of minutes before that a uh, couple of minutes beforehand really should have acted as a warning that they were going to start throwing the ball, crossing the ball um, into the box on a more regular basis. And basically, we didn't uh, take advantage of it. I think I've said in the past that our our defence isn't exactly the most physically dominant team. If you go back and compare it to the likes of Breda Hangland, who was excellent with balls coming into the box, whereas now you've got Tim Ream and Alfie Mawson, who just aren't quite there. In terms, in terms of de- in, de- in dealing with crosses, just because you know physically they're they're not quite big enough. Um, but on this point, on this goal, rather, I think some uh, blame needs to go on the shoulders of Joe Bryan, who um, could have uh, tracked the run of the. Uh, it was Josh Brownie who scored the first goal? Whoever it was, um, whoever it was scored the first goal. I think uh, Joe Bryan could do uh, a much better job of keeping track of him because you saw he just comes in completely unmarked, unnoticed. So I think Joe Branco has done a little bit better there, personally. Don, I'm going to come to you because, first of all, for the first goal, the, there was a cross that came in from the right. Um, it went deep and Dennis Adoy tried to head it out for a corner. We'd just given him some kudos, but he tried to head it out and didn't get rid of it. It went back to the Bristol City player on, on the left wing who crossed it in. And yeah, I completely agree with Baldo. Joe Bryan's just watched the bloke run in front of him and head it into the goal. What, what did you make of it? So that, this is, goes back to, again, I don't think Joe Bryan's got the speed to be able to constantly, the entire game, you know, up and down, up and down and get back in time. And I also do think there are times where a lot of our players, they just switch off. It's like all of a sudden we go from intensity to, I don't know. We're playing FIFA walking over that, that, 60s that's, league. That's the difference between Premier League quality and Championship right. quality. We, we just all of a sudden we switch off, and you know people are literally they're like a good five, ten yards back from the, their their player, their opposing player, and they're just looking at them. You know, and you can see actually there were several times where uh, I give Rhoda credit. He comes out and he's screaming at him. He's like, what are you guys doing? You know, you, too much space, too much time. Close this stuff down. And I think that's the problem is we give them all this space and time. These players make these runs. Back door, nobody's there to, to, to take the guy. Reem doesn't see him coming because he's got another guy he's defending. Open open header, open goal. You know, Rodak can't cover the whole goal back and forth, you know, by himself. He's got to have players out there putting pressure on these guys. And that is something I've harped on for a long time. We just let these guys blatantly come out of the midfield or out of the outsides unmarked and it's got to stop I, I don't know who our defensive person is right now I do think we've picked up some better in the defense but that is consistent always been consistent for a good couple of seasons now yeah right and last season we were we were terrible defensively but this season, you get away with it more in the championship. But I've got to say, Marek Rodak has been fantastic. As we've said it before, but Marek Rodak is potentially a Fulham legend in the making. Oh. I like I like everything about him. So far, you know, I, I, again, I don't know where uh, Baldwin sits on this, but I'm a big fan of the person between the sticks. You've got to try and support as much as you can. So I supported Betts, you know, with my dying breath up until he was taken out. And now that Rodak's in there, I am sorry, Betts. He has cemented his place there for me. Yeah, I think touching on what you said, yeah, you have to support them as you know as much as you can. But there what but there does come a time where, you know, any player, once mistakes start to come into the into their game, Agreed. there has to be a there has there has to be a time to move on. Um, which is why, you know, I stuck with vets a lot uh, last season as well. I um, said, no, we've got a we've got a goalkeeper. I don't think he should have gotten in instead of Fabry at the start of the season, but whatever. But there just came a time where Benny, one mistake too many, then you got to let him in. It's the same with Rodak. I will support him and you know, any base basically any player in the starting eleven, you know, until you no know, to the end of the earth. But once there's one too many mistakes, then it's absolutely fine to say, no, get him out of the team. Let's see if we have any other options. But you know, but Rodak is nowhere near that position yet. Okay, well, the referee, um, he was somebody who got plenty of stick at the weekend. Um, uh, He was surrounded by Fulham players at halftime as Mitro led the protests about his performance in the first half. 
followed by Scott Parker. I don't remember a referee having such a poor game at the cottage for a very long time, and it contributed to quite a to- toxic atmosphere by the end of the game, Don. What did you make of the referee? I, I, I hate to beat up on refs because we in this sport, okay, the refs get such a bad time or are given so much stick, especially at the youth level, that nobody wants to do it anymore. You know, we're, we're, we're getting to that point where we're losing referees, uh, which is sad. We need the rest or the, we're not going to have the game. But this guy, I was not impressed with his game at all. There are too many times where I felt like he wasn't looking at the right spot to, to make the proper decisions or he was looking and he just didn't give a shit. You know, he, he just kind of turned a blind eye several times, lots and lots of uh, the opposing defense having their hands deep, deep wrapped in Metro's shirt. And Metro, being as powerful as he is, was still getting up. I was, I'm very impressed with that, that he can still do that and get up and have his chances. But like the, 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 the one chance where the, they I don't know, they said he hit the goalie, the goalie come out and punch the ball. He, he was clear. He was completely over Mitchell's back yet Mitro gets uh, uh the the is told up oh, that was a foul and they get the free kick I don't understand these kind of things I'm sorry 50 50 everybody was going for it nothing's wrong I know you want to protect the keeper but I wasn't impressed and actually if you saw there was a bad tackle that took Reem out at the end of the first half and Reem was down when they blew the whistle still down yeah he was you're right so they had to have the you know the the uh trainers come run onto the pitch you know to deal with him and of course everybody got in the referee's face because he's letting these dangerous little tackles go by so again parker good job get in the ref's face let him know this is not acceptable start going both ways on the calls and start protecting some of these players better for me it was a classic example of the referee being completely out of his depth all right it was just a you know, a, a top six game in the championship, but he didn't have control of it at all from start to finish. And I, I, I felt like he was intimidated by the crowd. And he, he, he just completely lost it. At the end, he had no control. No. If you remember at the at the end, Tom got in his face, which, yeah. you know, we give Tom a lot of uh, stick mm. for not wanting to, you know, be more verbal and aggressive. Tom yeah. was up in his chrome, you know, telling him, hey, this is bullshit. You're shit. And yeah. Tom got to, gets a yellow card. And then if yeah. you watch, as everything progresses from there, Steph Joe, he ain't taking shit from no one. He's making yeah. sure that guy's getting off the pitch. He's pushing him yeah. off the pitch, basically. And so he yeah. ends up getting in a scuff. So, no, that ref yeah. lost control of it. He, he had yeah, he nothing. really did. He really did. All right, well, possibly my favourite moment of the day was, was at halftime when legendary Fulham photographer Ken Cotton uh, got his forever Fulham award. He's the first non-player to receive the award, and I thought he received a really touching reception at halftime. Um, recently, um, I've I've just completed on on buying my uh, buying my wife out of my house, so I'm looking for some artwork to put up on the walls, and um, and I emailed him because I've already, I've already got one picture up of his, which is the oh, Johnny Haynes one, where he's yeah he's he's got his hands on his hands on his hips, looking back towards the cottage. I've had it up in my house for years, um, but I um, I emailed him recently. Just to ask him about his um, his his picture of the ninety six ninety seven squad, all the the Fulham players just sitting on the pitch in front of the Hammersmith end, and I said, just let let me know how much you want for it. And it took him a few days, but he replied and he just said, have this on me. What's your address? And I thought that was absolutely fantastic because he's been the Fulham photographer for absolutely years. Um, I'd, That's I'd a happily paid. Exactly, I'd have happily paid like probably fifty quid for this photo because I really wanted it. Um, but now I've got it in a frame in my kitchen. Um, and it was lovely because he got his award and I wondered what the reception would be like. And I, I wondered how many people would actually know who he was um, because they normally bring the players down to the Hammersmith end to, to clap and wave um, when they get this award. And they brought Ken, Ken Cotton down and everybody just got on their feet and clapped him and he took his hat off. And it was it was really touching. It was, it was a really nice moment, especially given how toxic the atmosphere had been five minutes earlier um, when the players were surrounding the ref. So um, another nice human moment. I, I really enjoyed that. Now, for, for the listeners that don't know, uh, that's a huge step up, I think, for, for Frenchie, you know, in having some type of taste that he, good taste that he gets a good piece of artwork <laughs> like that. Because normally I think Frenchie's walls are just covered with like the, 
the <laughs> picture of all the dogs at the poker table playing cards, you know. <laughs> there are lots of pictures of dogs on my walls as well, but that's another story. Anyway, right. So straight after halftime, Anthony Knockhart's played in. Um, I think one of you guys have already said it already. Was it Onoma that played him in? He was. He's, his pace took him beyond the defence. And everyone's on their feet. Come on, come on, just stick it away, stick it away. One-on-one. And he hits the bloody keeper. Baldo. That's got to be a goal, hasn't it? That's cost us. Yeah, it has to be a goal. I think I've I've said it um, a couple of times beforehand, but basically I'm just worried about Anthony Knockhart and his and his end product and the fact that we're not we're not seeing enough of it. It'd be either with goals or or assists. I think I may have said the same about Caviera as well. You know, other than his fantastic wonder goals, he, he's not really producing enough. But what's really struck out when I went back when I went back to look at it was when he's uh, when the goalkeeper saved the ball and the ball sort of went up in the air. His anti-knockout's touch to control it. That's what really worried me about that. Because if he'd have managed to get that under control straight away, Mitrovic was screaming for it on the... He was on the Mitrovic outside, was wide screaming open. for it at the other, on the other side of the pit, on the other side of the 18-yard box, rather. So he, could have, so he could have got the ball over to him and Mitrovic could and have... Knockout doesn't do passing, though, does he? No, he doesn't. And that's the one thing that worries me, is his end product. Well, I, I, I will give him credit for one thing and that is his uh just affection you know his attitude on on the pitch towards you know the fans and how he just gets them pumped up it's addicting you know if, if you've ever been to the cottage and you see him pumping his fist and looking at you at the fans saying let's go you know you just want to jump up and join him yeah let's go yeah. but then he does something stupid and everybody remembers oh he doesn't pass yeah very frustrating. Well, you mentioned Mitro. Shortly after that chance, there was a there was a cross where Mitro headed it over the bar. He, he just needed to get a, literally a little flick on it, and he got too much on it and put it over the bar. And then shortly after that as well, there was a cross from the right wing from, I think it was from Knockart. It was kind of bending towards the far post, and Mitro slid in and just missed it. It wasn't Mitro's day, was it, Baldo? No, and I think... In the grand scheme of things, whilst yes, it was disappointing the result. Yes, I think we can allow him a game after the after the run of form he's been in this season. I think we we can allow him one game where where he doesn't perform. But so long as he but so long as he manages to get you know uh, back up to speed against Preston on midweek, I forget which day it is um, in midweek. Then 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 basically then basically all is forgiven. Basically, he he's allowed a blip. Every everyone's allowed a blip. Yeah, well, Preston is on Tuesday. Um, after um, 68 minutes, Kamara came on for Onoma and there was a really good reception for, for AK-47. 14 minutes from time uh, when Bristol City got a second goal. Baldo, talk me through that second goal. Uh, the second goal, I think you know many people want to uh, question the defence, uh, and I will admit it, but I actually want to give credit to Bristol City because that was actually quite a nice move. Um, we um, uh, the number eight and the number four escapes me escapes me who they were, uh, but their work down the right hand side I thought was actually pretty good in fairness to him. And then similar to the first one, you just had one man that was allowed to go completely free at the back post, um, unmarked and uh, and tap it in. And that was the moment I thought, uh, you know, AK forty seven. Um, if you go back and watch it, he was just just watching him. He he didn't bother tracking tracking the runner uh, or. All the way through, so I think a lot of you know questions have to be asked about, and Dennis Adoy, as well, had been uh, drifted too far centrally, um, track, tracking the other guys. So Kamara should have been you know help helping him out in that situation. But I, I want to give more credit to Bristol City there for for very good build up, more than I want to blame the defence in anything. Well, actually, this is where I I will jump in, and I do want to blame the defence and the midfield again. Because if you watch the end of that goal, it, you're right. They worked it beautifully down the side. They put it right across the face of the goal to an awaiting player on the back post who had nobody covering him. So once again, unmarked player. Who, who would have thought? Um, in the 81st minute, Niskan's Cabano came on for Cavalero, And the introduction of Niskan set up AK-47's goal. Don, talk me through our consolation. And this is where... We were just missing him the whole game, I think. Uh, so, again, hopefully it's man management. We're going to see him on Tuesday. But the minute he steps on the field right now, 
he just injects so much enthusiasm and so much energy into the mat into the match that you just can't help but feel the whole atmosphere get lifted. The players seem to come back alive a little bit. And I, I think he, you know, really does bring a lot of stuff to the to the games. And when he's not there, we miss him. But for the goal, beautifully worked back and forth. You know, we get it out on the outside. I believe it was Ivan who puts it back across the 18 and right player, right time. Beautiful low finish. He just puts it, you know, back across goal. So again, AK makes these runs right now that nobody else is making. We're missing Bobby Reed in them. So we need that presence. And he's smart enough that he's he'll lay it off. He's not greedy, and that's what I really like about him and why I want to see him more on the pitch. All right, well, there's five minutes of injury time, and in that time is probably the most frustrating moment of the season so far. Cabano, he dances into the penalty area. He's pulled down, surely a stonewall penalty. And the referee had one look at it, and he didn't say, he didn't wave his arms and say no penalty. He just looked at it, almost turned his nose up, and turned his back, and that then led to four of our players getting booked. Dog, yeah. definite penalty. Surely. Oh my god, yes. He he's the, he's taking up from behind. He he. The guy doesn't get the ball at all. The last touch actually comes off of our own player, if I'm not mistaken. He it is a clear stonewall penalty. But it was at at that point in the game, the ref just had his mind on. You know, where's my car? You know, what car park did I park in? You know, what am I going to have for dinner? He didn't give a shit, it seemed like, about the game. He completely looked away. He didn't even hardly look at it. Tom gets in his face right away. Four other players get in his face right away, Metro and everybody. And it was rightly deserved. He completely blew that last call. Completely in my mind. There's no question. What about you, Baldo? Penalty for you? Yes, clear penalty. I think the main the main question that comes out of this, and I've usually stuck up for referees in this sort of situation, but the question that comes from my mind from this is, if he doesn't think it's a foul, surely he thinks he because of the because of the way the ball moves. If he doesn't think it's a foul, surely he has to book Cabano for diving. So that's Agreed. what really that's what really bugs me. Like I can get it if you know. If the referee thinks that you know the re- the um uh, the the defender got the ball, you know I can sort of understand that even if it's blatant obvious from the angle the referee's at, he thinks he got the ball. I can sort of agree with, but the way the play the the move played out is just baffling. That he that basically he thinks it's either a, again in that situation it's either a foul or it's a dive. So quite how we got neither of them. Is the ba- is the baffling thing? But it's it's Cabano's reaction for me that says it's a definite foul because Cabano is ac- absolutely exasperated. He's not like sheepishly walking away, thinking, "Whoops, I've thrown myself on the floor." There, he is like punching the ground, no, arms he, up in the air. He yeah, was and, in. The, and the and the Bristol City defender as well that yeah. was around him, trying to get the ball away as quick as possible. Oh yeah, basically to distract away from everything. He was so in. If, if you watch yeah. that buildup, it was actually a very one of the good times Fulham had during that game, where the buildup was beautiful. You know, little one-two touches. I think it was like Reem and Tom, boom, boom, giving back. He receives it back in the box. He's going for goal. He's open. He is wide open, and I think he would have finished it right then and there. I really do. And the player just comes in, takes him away. He doesn't get the ball because you can see the ball still uh, progressing forward. Stone cold penalty, no doubt about it. For me, I think uh, Cabano has been one of the most unlucky players at Fulham for the last couple of years because he's always looked all right when he's when he's been given the opportunity and he looked all right when he came on yesterday and he's he's been on the bench uh, a few times recently but arguably now he, maybe maybe he'll start one of the next couple of games. What do, what do you guys think? I, I I thought he looked really good when he came on, but. I, I really think he's, you know, he's in the similar similar sort of mould to AK in that he's quite quick, and he, he even hit the bar after that um, after that penalty call as well. Do either of you think he might be in with a shout of a start at Preston? I I'm not sure because I think who would you take out to replace him? It would you naturally you'd think maybe just you take out Josh exactly. But as we discussed right at the start of this, we 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 were sort of going on the logic that Kamara. 
was being rested and brought off the bench to be saved for Preston. So you think Kamara for Onoma makes sense. Who do you then take out? Do you take out Caballero or Knockhart? Knockhart comes out. Yep, Knockhart <laughs> comes out. Sorry, go back to the bench. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, AK's the logic in the, for him. Yeah, the and logic then, is there. The logic and then is you there. Drop it's Cab- whether or not he'll make. I drop Cabano in because I think Cabano would be cl- more closely like a Bobby Reed type player who's making runs yeah. in the box than Josh is. He'll make those little runs in the box. Maybe he'll start playing a little one-two with uh, AK or with Metro, and we'll get a nice in result. So for me, he's the closer product to a Bobby Reed style player, which is what Metro needs. He needs that person who plays off him really well. Okay, without that. Metro's isolated way too much and expected to do everything on his own. So I have no problem. I, 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 that, that'd be my lineup. Knockhart to the bench. AK comes in, dropping Cabano. All right. Well, we're going to come on to the Preston game and the Preston preview in a minute. Um, that's that's my fault for, for posing that question a little bit too early. But let's just summarize this game then. So for me, I think the referee caused a toxic atmosphere. It wasn't our best performance by any stretch of the imagination, but we did have plenty of opportunities to win this game. Bristol City were well organised. They rode their luck and justified their league position with their performance. But all this being said, I don't think you can you can mark Scott Parker down necessarily um, because we did have the opportunities to win the game. Uh, the referee aside, um, uh, we, we did miss some excellent chances, but I'm going to ask you boys for your Scott Parker racing now. Um, so I'm going to come to you first, Baldo. Scott Parker racing for the defeat at home to Bristol City. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say six. You know, there's only so much that he can do um, with the players he put on the pitch, and as we, as, we, as you mentioned, the players have to take the chances when they come. So you can't put too much. Play. But at the same time, something like starting Josh Onama personally just knocks a couple of points off for me. So I'm going to give a six. Okay, mate, thank you. And Don, for you, Scott Parker rating. I, I do agree a lot with Matt, uh, with Baldwin there. I, th- I think uh, maybe I'll give him a 6.5 because I do think he's he's figured out a pretty good formula. And sadly today, or you know, for yesterday's match, the team let him down. They had their chances. They were unlucky several times. The finishes weren't there, but... Him starting Josh right now to me takes points off of his rating. Now, I do think him injecting both Cabano and uh, AK into the match towards the end fired it back up, and we had more chances there uh, going forward, I thought at least. So I'll give him a 6.5. I couldn't give him a 7 just because, again, Josh, I don't get it. I, I Right now, I just don't get it. I think you're being harsh on Josh. I, I, I really do. But it's all about opinions. And um, I, I don't know what I'm expecting from Josh Onoma, but I didn't think he was that bad. Um, but I think we always need a scapegoat when we lose. And Josh Onoma, all the while he's playing at the moment, and we don't we don't pick up the points, he's always going to be that scapegoat. But I'm going to give Scott Parker a seven. Um, I can't give him any higher than a seven because we lost. But... I don't think we were that far away from from getting something from this game at all. Apart apart from, and like you say, I don't like to get on referees' backs because that's an easy option. And it's almost like um, you turn your back on your own failings when you blame the referee. But um, we we did we did lose the game, and and the referee was responsible for not giving us a stonewall penalty in the last couple of minutes. So, yeah, it, it's a seven for me. And it's it's unfortunate that we didn't get anything from that game. But had we taken our chances, which Scott Parker can't be blamed for, then um, then he, he probably would have been looking at an eight or an eight and a half. So it's, it's fine margins. Anyway, let's bring, let's bring that to a close because I think we've talked far too much about the Bristol City game. So let's look forward to Tuesday's match against Preston at Deepdale. Fulham. Right, chaps. So, what memories do you have of Preston, either at the cottage or at um, at Deepdale? I'm going to come to you first, Don. So, I think this was two years ago. It had to be two years ago because we were we didn't play them last year. So, I think yeah, it was two years ago. Uh, match was during the day, not at night, 
and I was staying over in the rocket bar uh, area, uh, crossed the bridge with some friends, and we dropped down into the park. And I couldn't help but notice that several of the Bristol or, or Preston fans were in full up gentlemen's outfits with their little bollard hats and everything. And, you know, they, they looked really fancy and, and it was really kind of neat to see all these people wearing pretty much the same outfit. So I did not know what, what that was. I had to uh, reach out to Baldwin and Baldwin, you know, Googled it and explained it all to me. It's a, a gentry day. They pick, uh, you know, a game every year to kind of remember fallen fans and stuff like that, apparently. So I thought that was really a nice touch, uh, a very classy thing. Until they started singing all their stupid little dick songs, uh, trying to get shit started with Fulham players or Fulham fans. But I thought that was a pretty interesting atmosphere and it made for a good time at the at the pitch or at the at the game. So I liked it. I've never heard of that before, and I've been to I've been to Deepdale a few times. I've seen Fulham play Preston at home a few times uh, over the years. I've never ever heard of that, so that's that's really interesting. It's quite a nice touch as well. Uh, Baldo, any Preston memories? Yeah, mine happily uh, ties in with an away one. It's during the um, now famous twenty three match unbeaten run, and it's um, Alexander Mitrovic with uh, with a last minute winner. And I think my favorite my favorite part of that was the celebration afterwards, where he just, in his usual um, mental way, actually, no, probably bad word, sorry, probably bad word to say mental, but you get what he in his over exuberant way, just went an absolutely crazy celebration um, afterwards. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that personally. Lovely stuff. I've I've got a few Preston memories actually. There's um, when Kevin Keegan left Fulham. To take charge of uh, to take charge of England for the uh, for the Euro two thousand um, qualifying campaign, and we we ended up that was the last day of the season after after Keegan had managed us for the whole season and we won the league, and um, and he left and uh, he got all sorts of abuse that day, um, but Paul Moody scored a, a second half hat trick after coming off the bench I think so we beat them three 0 that was at Craven Cottage. And then we got the uh, we got the Division Two as it was then uh, trophy that day. And um, then we had a couple of good away days at Preston as well. Um, there was a, a one nil win. Actually, I think that was the same season as that. Actually, it was uh, um, Chris Coleman scored in a one nil win. It was quite a late goal. And then there was in the in the Tigana season as well uh, when we got promoted to the Premiership. We we drew one all, but I remember Sean Davis scored that day. It might have been an equaliser, and he, he he scored from about thirty five yards. But he got the ball thirty five yards out, and I remember shouting, "No, Sean! No, Sean!" And he's pinged it in. He's gone flying in the top corner, and everybody around me is pointing at me, going, "You shut up!" So um, yeah, I, I, as most people do these days, to be honest, I, I know nothing. So don't listen to a bloody word I say. But they're they're my Preston memories anyway. There's been there's been some good encounters with them over the years. I'm going to um, quote you on I, that later when you say you don't know nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, please do. Please do. I mean, anybody that listens to this show regularly will know. <laughs> you don't need me to say it. Um, so I, I think, Don, you've already you've already given your lineup prediction, but let's let's just go through it again. So um, go on. So you, what, what, what do you uh, reckon? I, you know, the back four pretty much pick themselves right now. You know, yeah. unless uh, Adoy gets hurt. I do think Christie is very capable. I don't know where Sessegnon is sitting right now. No, Steve uh, Sess was on the bench. Steve Sess was on the bench at the weekend. Okay, so, so he's there and thereabouts. He's there and thereabouts. Uh, he must be healthy. But I did like Christie and what he was the way he was playing. So I could see Christie, you know, coming on probably before Steve does in my mind. Um, so back four, you know, stay the same. Midfield. I really like when Steph Joe plays. I think he just brings a lot to the to the game for us. Uh, I am a little worried about the season, uh, the, the amount of matches and everything. And again, this might go to man management. This might be a game where, you know, maybe we sit him out, give him a little bit of a rest, and we, you know, plop somebody else in there, uh, you know, maybe bring him on second half or something. So, I could see Steph Joe maybe getting a little management sitting out. That would not bother me. Um, obviously, when we, you know, 
right now our playing style is Tom playing deep. So he's going to sit deep. Um, the other side of things, again, missing the Bobby Reed and, and Harrison Reed and everything. Like I said, I, I personally would think let's bring in uh, Cabano and let's go ahead and do AK because I just think that's closer to the style that we had when we were winning our four matches. Now, with that said, I don't think Preston's going to be just a walk in the park. Um, anybody who seems to think that right now, that any of these games, especially in the top six, eight, or a walk in the park, you're smoking something, and it ain't it ain't good for you. So I, I, I do want to see us come out more aggressive. I feel like we're a little too much asleep at the start of these matches. And for once, just once, I'd really like to see us get an early goal, you know, and, and control it from there. Uh, we don't really seem to do that a lot this season. We seem to have to fight back all the time. So uh, here we go, Tuesday. Come on, Fulham. But my changes are Cabano and definitely AK. All right, Baldo, what do you think? Do you think that might be a little bit too attacking away from home, having Cabano and AK both in the side? Um, I think it might. I think it might be slightly too attacking. I I'll take a point there. I think the only change for me, and you, you can probably tell. Um, the way I the way I spoke about it during the uh, during the review, obviously, jo- obviously, Josh Josh Onuma has got to go basically, and that w- that would really be the only change for me in the case of who would you bring in instead? And I would go f- and I would go for Kamara personally. I think that, that's really the only change. And maybe sort of combine it with a play him off Mitrovic and then play him with Mitrovic, sort of combining the four two three one, which we seem to be doing a little bit more these days. Combine that with a four four two. In a sense, how, so how would that work though? How would that work? Kabala, sorry, Kamara, Knockart, and Cavallero, and Mitrovic on the pitch at the same time. Yeah, I think you can make it happen. Yeah, you play yeah, you're two up front. Don's a smart you're, lad. You're, you're, you're yeah. two up front. It's going to be Mitro uh, with Cabano playing off of him, slightly you know behind. But Mitro, obviously, we want him on the last, last guy's shoulders and sitting just slightly behind him. I'd have <laughs> Cabano. Then you're four across the back. And this is where, okay, let's say uh, I'm a little too much attacking, uh, but I do think, you know, hey, let's give Steph Joe a, a rest. I think it would be a good thing. Let's drop Christy in there, okay? And we've got Christy and Tom in the middle. And on either side, you have – You, you play know, Christy in midfield. Let him play the deeper role like Tom. So he's almost like your fifth defender. You follow me? Like a holding midfielder. Maybe you give Tom a little more freedom up front. I Not think he's played it for Ireland, I think. He's played for Ireland, I think, hasn't he before? Uh, I'm not I couldn't quote you on that, but or or yeah, I think you know, confirm that. But I think Christie could definitely play that role, kind of like K Mac used to with us. When we were really killing things, K Mac, he would be the guy. But we do have K we do have K Mac available. Yeah. I don't know that K Mac could play a whole game right now, though. Do you guys yeah, think he could do a whole match? I don't know that he's got that kind of stamina. I I think he's the key player. Maybe we bring him in, you know, 20 minutes left or something, and he's our captain that comes in, rallies the crew, and makes things uh, solid back there. But, you know, I could see Christy allowing Tom to have that little more freedom in the midfield because Tom, you know, maybe he's not hitting and pinging the goals in, but he's still picking out those passes. You know, him and Tim Ream are right now, in my mind, our key players that are picking the passes out. So, Maybe we free up Tom a little bit, and then you've got AK out on the side. AK comes back in the defense all the time. If you watched him, where, wherever we, I said before, banished him to Turkey, wherever he came back from, he's a different player right now. And so he's got that salmon. He's got that speed. He's been coming back and helping on the defense. So that would help, you know, a doy on that side. We do need who's ever going to be out on the left side, whether that's uh, Ivan or it's Knockhart you know, whoever, I do need to start seeing them drop back and help Joe more because that's, I think, kind of our weak side right now is Joe not being able to get back and help cover in the defense as much if he's constantly going to be going forward. So who's ever on that side, he's got to be dropping back and helping Joe. That is key for me in the next several games. All right, well, I think between us, we've just named pretty much the entire squad that's going to be starting at Preston on um, on Tuesday. So <laughs> hope we've uh, suitably confused you there. Well, um, you know, maybe we'll start with really 14 well, players. So. We'll, we'll start with 14 players and yeah, see how that goes. Let's, let's try it. Why not? I mean, Bristol played with 12 <laughs> on Saturday. 
<laughs> they did, they did. <laughs> um, but I'm bomb. Alex Sorry, Neil's ref. side. Yeah, bloody ref. Alex Neil's side have done really well so far this season. Um, Baldo, have they exceeded expectations for what you what you were thinking they might do this season? Um, yeah, because I think when I was look, when I was looking at the start of the season, you know, who was going to be the ones at the top of the table? You know, I was thinking, you know, West Brom leads. I thought we're going to be up there. They are up there. Um, I thought the three relegated sides would be up there as well. So us, Cardiff and Huddersfield, and obviously only one of them, one of us is. I thought Nottingham Forest would be able to uh, form a bit of a push. I did not see Preston uh, Preston North End were not in one of my teams um, that I thought would be pushing up there. So I don't know if this is them punching above their weight or if this is, you know, reason expectations or if the rest of the league has just sort of fallen apart and crumbled. Well, Cardiff and Huddersfield obviously have. So I don't know if it's down to them, but, you know, fair, fair play to them for being for being as high as they are right now. But they do have a couple of dodgy results in them as their performance against QPR on Saturday really showed. Oh, I was out last night. I missed all the results. So how, how, what happened at QPR? What was the score? Uh, they lost 2-0 and didn't really oh, okay. uh, put much of a... It was QPR's first clean sheet of the season. So that was really it? showed... Yeah, exactly. So that tells you that, you know, if they can't score against a team that hasn't kept a clean sheet this season, then there's starting to be a few tr- there's starting to be a few problems sneaking in. God, you've got to be shit to lose to QPR, haven't you? Yeah, that as well. <laughs> All right, I'm going to look at Stato's stats now. Matt Arthur sent these over to me this afternoon. So um, out of 66 meetings between Fulham and Preston, Fulham have won 30. Preston North End of 24 and we've drawn 12. Um, Fulham have won four of the last eight meetings and we've lost one. The last time we played them was uh, the 2-1 away win at Deepdale when Mitre scored both goals and that was the 15th match of the 23-game unbeaten run. Our last defeat at Deepdale, surprisingly, was November 1997, Division 2. Um this isn't on here, but the um, I, I remember David Beckham scoring for Preston in a win against Fulham at Deepdale when he was on loan for Preston, um, or on loan to Preston rather, from Manchester United before he was famous. That might have been about 1994, though. Um, our last defeat to Preston was at the Cottage in October 2000, which I believe was the uh, Tagana promotion season. They were one of the few teams to come to the Cottage and get something from us. Um, our last three matches at Deepdale have all been 2-1 victories. In March tw- uh, 2018, that was the uh, the game uh, when we beat them 2-1 with Mitre scoring both the goals. In August 2016, Sonia Luco and Matt Smith both scored. And then in April 2016, Ross McCormack and Musa Dembele both scored a 2-1 win. Former players that have played for both Preston and Fulham, we've got Ben Pringle, Andy Lonergan, who was at Liverpool, bizarrely, earlier this season. Eddie Johnson, legendary American centre-forward, Don. Uh, Dixon Atuhu, David Healy, and, of course, Brian McBride, who is uh, Baldo's favourite Fulham player of all time. But he's not listening to me because he's looking at the TV screen behind him uh, at the Brighton Wolves game. What's going on in Brighton Wolves, Baldo, really quickly? Apologies, but... um... Uh, Wolves just had a blatant penalty turned down. Basically, Lewis Dunk, remember him when we linked with him, was basically on the ground uh, try- and had the ball kicked right at his hand and just got taken away from it. That's all it was, but it's a blatant penalty, not given. Anyway, moving on. Ah, blatant penalties not given. That's what we love this weekend. Yeah, eh? where have I heard that before? Yeah, exactly. Preston are currently seventh in the championship. They've played 20 games. They've won nine of them, drawn four and lost seven. They've scored 31 goals and conceded 25, although they have lost their last four games on the bounce. Uh, They average 1.55 goals per game and concede 1.2. So we're bound to see some goals in this game, probably a 2-1 win, but we'll come to that in a little while. Um, They've had four clean sheets so far this season, only two at home and two away from home. And they have taken the lead in 14 out of 20 games. So if we are to win 2-1, 
then there's every chance that we're going to go behind. They favour a 4-2-3-1 formation and 14 out of the 31 goals that they've scored have been from set pieces, which, of course, we are extremely vulnerable from at the moment. Crosses, set pieces, whatever. We seem to concede a lot of goals. So I'm going to come to you both now and I'm going to ask you both to pick a player to watch. I'm going to come to you first, Don. Who's press watch? Let's see here. Uh, you know, they've got a really good goalkeeper. He, he's got a lot of experience. Uh, let's see. Staddle could tell me better how many years he's been with them. Um, he's been around for quite a while. He's probably going to be the one thing that's going to help keep us you know out of the match and keep them in the in the game uh, like you said set pieces is a problem so uh, I, I i don't know who their set piece person is but if they're scoring half their stuff off of set pieces that is trouble for us are you telling me that you're not an expert on preston don why uh, ever not you know <laughs> The only thing I knew about Preston, you already said, was that they had Eddie Johnson for a while and that, you know, they got they had uh, Brian McBride there for a while. So other than that, Preston, I couldn't tell you anything about them. So the, be- the best thing Remember, about Preston, this is not Preston focus. This is yeah, quite. Focus. The, be- the best thing about Preston. And this is for the younger members of our audience is that it's very close to Blackpool and Blackpool is a good night out if you're young. And I'm 38 now, and I wouldn't go to Blackpool for a night out. But if I was in my early 20s, then maybe I would. Maybe not on a Tuesday night, though. Anyway, Baldo, I'm going to come to you because I'm waffling. Who is your key man to watch at Preston on Tuesday? Uh, Personally, I'd go for Daniel Johnson. You know, we um, talked earlier in the show, Don mentioned about who's going to be playing that defensive midfield role and, you know, who could really accommodate. And Daniel Johnson's really going to be the person that goes up against them he's their sort of main he's their key man so far this season he's scored uh scored eight assisted four um and you know seems to be the main uh creator sort of playing in a number 10 position so i think he's going to be sort of orchestrating the play so uh, most of it's going to be going through him so i think if we can keep him quiet we can keep Pre- we can keep preston quiet so it's um i'm looking forward to a uh stefan johansson shithousery masterclass in keeping him in keeping the ball away from him you know, you mentioned him as a key player, and I'm looking at these stats. You know, according to Stato, they they make more a shitload more of short passes than they do long passes. So my guess is, you know, they're really trying to play through him and you know whoever their other midfield player is a lot. So again, like you said, I think that holding midfielder that I you know I would kind of keep as that almost fifth defensive player i don't want him to be sitting super deep but i think that could be a key role like you said either steph joe or like i say possibly christy there uh it's going to be vital i think that they help mark up these players coming out of the midfield uh, especially on these stinking set pieces crosses and you know everything else going in the box so that is my one concern for preston is if they're going to be playing all these short passes and hopefully it's not going to be the boring small slow passes uh put me to sleep hopefully you know it's going to be a faster paced game especially if we've got ak in there but uh i I do think you're right the key player for us is going to be who's kind of sitting back and helping to control that midfield passing and and play so it'll be interesting to see who parker picks for this and hopefully he's just not going to just rubber stamp his normal roster on this hopefully he's really going to think about it all right, mate, well, I'm going to come to you first, uh, Don. I'm going to ask you what the score is going to be at deep down on Tuesday night. I, th- I think what you said earlier is going to be an accurate description. I think it's going to be like a 2-1 thing. We will, I just have it, a gut feeling, do something <clears throat> stupid, you know, and allow one in. Uh, but I think with, with Rodak in the back there, he's really been helping keep us alive. So I think he'll help, you know, for keep us in the game. I do see, I don't know, looking at these stats, they're conceding a lot right now and, and they have not won their last four. So again, I think if we've got a decent attack going up forward, especially AK in there mixed in to give him speed and trouble, I could see us putting a couple in the back of the net, you know, and us coming away with a win here. So I think it's a vital game and I, and I do think we can get the win two to one. Good man. I hope you're right. All right, Baldo, what do you think? 
Um, I echo more or less everything that Don said. However, I think there will be. I think that this is going to be one of those rare games where we manage to keep a clean sheet. So I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for two 0 Fulham victory. You know, for once, Baldo is the uh, optimist person. So I like it. Good. I like it too, and I think I agree with you. I think um, I, I think we will bounce back. I think Scott Parker's shown some real grit this season, and I don't I don't see us folding in this game. I think Preston are on the ropes because they've lost their last four. Um, I, I think we'll win two nil. Uh, I wouldn't like to say who's going to score, but I think we'll win two nil. All right, boys. Well, I think that's more than enough of that this week. Thank you to you both for joining me. And as always, to everybody for listening at home. We'll be back at some point in the next week or so once we get ourselves organised. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to us if you haven't already done so. Just search for Full and Focus on your podcast app of choice and hit subscribe. Hopefully next time you hear from us, we'll be talking about three points and not wallowing in what might have been as we have done today. It's a big week of games for the Whites, so let's put this defeat right straight away. Come on, you Whites. Cheers.